What's up, everybody? This is Pastor James. Welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. We are still in chapter 21 this week and should be finishing up today. Now, remember that uh, because we've been hung up on this one chapter, technically Jesus still only has five days left until his betrayal and crucifixion. So let's dig in, see how far we get, and uh, we'll get going. So read with me today, Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. We'll talk about the parable of the two sons. But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, Son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, No, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, You go. And he said, Yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? And they replied, The first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him while the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. Okay, so in this moment you have to remember that Jesus just finished dodging the religious leaders questions about his authority and refusing to answer them because they would not answer his question so this parable is a message specifically for those religious leaders trying to trap Jesus and it's coming immediately after um, they ask and question Jesus on his authority and no answer is ever given <clears throat> so it's very important to remember that. But we can all learn from this parable, and that's the beauty of Scripture. It may have had a specific person or people that um, what was written down was given to them, but when it comes to it in the long run, we can all gain from the Word of God if we are willing to believe it to be truth, believe it to be God's Word, and apply it to our lives. So uh, let, let's start out looking at this parable and kind of see... Uh, where we're being led on it. So the father has two sons, and, and these two sons both belong to the father. They are loved and valued as the father's own flesh and blood. They are going to inherit the father's uh, kingdom, wealth, vineyard, whatever you want to look at it. I mean, in this story, it's a vineyard. And he calls both of these sons to go out and work in the vineyard. And with the vineyard being a major part of their inheritance, it is very, it's a very necessary expectation that these sons go out and help care for it and not just expect to profit from it without tending to it or investing in it in any way. And it's very interesting that Jesus gives one that says no, but eventually does what is right, and one that says yes and basically purposefully neglects his responsibilities. Jesus in this story doesn't address the hard no's, the people who refuse and then don't go, and the hard yes, the people who say yes and then and then go through with it. Rather, he addresses the people that start out with <clears throat> the bad attitude, but eventually surrender, and the people who start off with a good attitude, they say all the right things, but they fall to the wayside, and as the time of responsibility approaches, they don't do, they don't follow through with their promises or their word. So the sons were also approached individually, too. When you look at this parable, that's important to realize, and I think it's important that the sons were not brought before the father together as a pair, but the father called them individually and gave them both individual orders to go work. And the father does that with us today. I mean, 
When you think about the body of Christ, church, there are all of us are called to serve God in very similar ways. And so, like he says, go out and serve the vineyard. He tells the boys to do the same exact thing, but he calls them individually to do it. And so we're all called to do many things the same way, but Jesus speaks to us individually. He calls us individually. And understanding that is very, very important, that following the Lord and serving him is a very individual thing. And at the same time, we are called to work together inside the body of Christ. I just wanted to bring attention to that. So let's go to the first son. The first son answers honestly, but it seems that he regrets it or he comes to his senses and he eventually went and did the right thing. The second son, on the other hand, answers the right way, but he neglects his responsibilities. He said all the right things, but he didn't do the right thing. And there are many people who claim to be a part of the kingdom of God. They claim to be part of the church. They profess belief in Jesus Christ. They say all the right things, but they aren't doing any of the work, and they aren't living for the Lord like they claim that they are. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day were very much like this. I mean, this was this was their M.O. They said all the right things. They did all the right things, but their hearts were not near God. They were far from God. And Jesus basically, in this moment, I mean, when you consider what he is saying to them, he drops an atomic bomb on these religious leaders in this moment. He tells them they are not getting into heaven because they have not done what is right. They say all the right things, but they haven't done any of the right things. And Jesus says the sinners... <clears throat> the the tax collectors, the prostitutes, they may not have started off well, but they have repented and have agreed to go work for the Father. And the religious leaders have been claiming to work for the Father, but have not done any of the work that they say or claim that they do. And Jesus said that the corrupt tax collectors and the prostitutes will enter the kingdom of heaven before the religious leaders do. And I want to ask you this morning, does this remind you of anything? Uh, uh, You know, because the whole time Jesus has been saying the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Well, in the grand scheme of things, the religious leaders were constantly elevating themselves to be first, that they had all the answers. They were doing all the right things. They were going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and all the sinners were not. But in this moment, Jesus is saying, oh, no, my friend, you have it all wrong. These corrupt tax collectors... And these prostitutes may have started out answering the wrong way. They may not have begun following, but they repented of their sin. They listened to the word of God. And because of that, they're going to enter the kingdom of heaven before you do. And it's also important to know, as we're finishing up on this section, that the father did not punish or judge his sons based off of what they said or on their initial response. That's super important because in this moment, Jesus seems to communicate that what a person does is more important than what they say. The fruit of a person's life is more important than the professions of their mouth. And you see this with the brothers, that the first one may not have answered the right way, but he did the right thing. The second one may have answered the right way, but he did the wrong thing. And so because of that, we see that there's an emphasis placed off of what we do rather than just what we say. And I want to 
I want us to understand this morning that as followers of Christ and according to what we believe in theology, salvation is based off of faith. It's based off of profession of faith. It's not based off of what we do. But when we get saved, when we believe in Jesus Christ and we belong to him and belong to the Father and we belong to the kingdom, we do have to understand that we are called to go out in that vineyard or that field um, to go out and work and do the things that God has called us to do. That's very important. So um, it's not necessarily what you say. It's not about saying all the right things. It's about inevitably doing what is right. And the corrupt tax collectors and the prostitutes repented of their sins, and therefore they would enter the kingdom of heaven. But the religious leaders thought that they were fine, didn't said all the right things, but they didn't do all the things that God wanted them to do. And, and basically, Jesus was saying, look, you haven't repented. You still have sin in your life. You need to repent. You need to turn away from it. These people did. These corrupt sinners did. But you have not. And that's what God truly wants from us. Okay? Well, let's skip on to verse 33 through 46. We'll read about the parable of the evil farmers. And then we'll finish up today. It says, now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard. <clears throat> built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a, built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to a tenant farmers and moved to another country, and at the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another, so the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him. But the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, Surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, Here comes the heir to this estate. Come, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard, and murdered him. When the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asks, What do you think he will do to those farmers? The religious leaders replied, He will put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. Then Jesus asked him, Didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. When the leading priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they realized he was telling the story against them and they were the wicked farmers and they wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds who considered Jesus to be a prophet. Alrighty. This is quite possibly one of the most uh, <clears throat> interesting uh and in my mind, confusing parables that Jesus told. Not that it's super complicated, but when you read this at face value, I can remember reading this as a young Christian and not knowing a whole lot about Scripture. It's very hard to understand um, what all is going on in this moment. So if you're young and, and you're reading this, or maybe you haven't been a Christian very long, it may be hard to just kind of gather what Jesus is saying in all this and what represents what. And so it, the... Everything that's mentioned, the people, the things, they just don't clearly represent something. You just can't figure out what Jesus is trying to say in this moment. Basically, at the end, the religious leaders understand that they are the evil farmers. But other than that, it's just kind of this uh, 
hazy, cloudy parable that we read. But let's look at let's let's break it down the best we can and just kind of help you guys get some understanding of it and uh, and so we can understand this parable better and what Jesus is trying to communicate and really what the religious leaders are seeing because they would have understood it more than us because they would have realized uh, what each thing represented better than us because they were in that culture during that time. So first you have to uh, remember that the nation of Israel <clears throat> is most often referred to as a vineyard in the Old Testament. There's several passages of Old Testament scripture that refers to the people of Israel as God's vineyard. Um, The person who planted the vineyard and set it up perfectly is obviously the Lord, God. Uh, God put the hedges around his vineyard. He dug a pit to press the grapes. He built a lookout tower for protection on the vineyard. He set it up for absolute success, and he gave it everything it needed to thrive. I mean, when you think about this and say, okay, well, God is the, the owner, and the people of Israel are the vineyard. Well, God uh, led the people of Israel out of Egypt. He led them into a promised land, a land flown with milk and honey. He gave them everything they needed to survive. He, he gave them all the laws of the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, the temple, the tabernacle. He gave them everything they needed to thrive and have a relationship with God and to do well and be blessed on earth. So then, <clears throat> because of that, he turns that vineyard, he turns the people of Israel over to a tenant, someone who's responsible for carrying that vineyard. And and so that represents kind of the religious leaders, the tenants, because they're the ones responsible for caring for the people of Israel. They're, they're responsible for leading them and making sure that they are productive and doing what they're supposed to do, and they're producing fruit for the one who owns it, which is God. So... Um, in this story, the owner uh, or the Lord comes to collect what belongs to him, his share of the harvest. And first he sends his servants. And, and basically, when you look at this, this would be people like Moses, Gideon, Deborah, the, the judges, um, uh, David, Solomon, the, you know, the kings. You have prophets, Jeremiah, Daniel, uh, Ezra, like all these different prophets and, and different servants of God who would deliver messages from the Lord to the people of Israel, and they did what they were supposed to do and how they would respond. So, um, when these servants are killed and mistreated, the owner or the Lord sends a larger group of people. So you see this um, later on. It's like, early on in the history of Israel, you have Moses and Joshua, and then you have uh judges here and there then you have a king and then you have a few prophets but later on once the people of Israel kind of begin to dissolve because they're being taken into exile because of their sins the Lord is sending prophets like large numbers of prophets and they're all being killed like so we read about many of the prophets in the Old Testament but there's a lot of prophets that we don't read about that we don't hear about because they were killed so quickly by the people of Israel and the leaders of Israel so uh, it, Jesus is kind of giving this past tense, present tense, and future tense in this parable, and, and I'll explain that some more as we go. But the results were the same when he sends the larger group of representatives to collect on his share. Um, they're killed, they're, they're stoned to death, they're beaten, they're humiliated. Um, 
So finally, the owner or the Lord uh, sends his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when they send his son, the owners of the vineyard plot and scheme against his son and kill his son. And so basically, this is the part where it moves from Jesus <coughs> uh, talking about past tense to talking about uh, very close uh, present tense and maybe even future tense because the religious leaders are have been plotting and scheming and they're about to put Jesus to death in just a few days. So Jesus is explaining the history of the relationship between God and the people of Israel and the religious leaders of the people of Israel, both past, present, and what will be soon future tense. So after providing a story that enrages the religious leaders up above, um, now Jesus is also providing a parable of how these evil farmers acted, and Jesus asks what the owner or the God would do to the farmers. And the religious leaders are happy to say, well, the owner is going to punish them immensely and make them suffer for what they've done. So, so once the response has been given, Jesus quickly reveals the meaning of the parable and who the evil ones were. And, and this, is, this is so important because Jesus begins to quote the Old Testament scriptures and talk about the cornerstone being rejected and how that would be the stone that crushed those that reject it. And in this moment, the religious leaders, they are beginning to realize that Jesus is saying that they are the evil farmers and he is the owner's son. So Jesus is inadvertently saying that he is God's son. He is the Messiah in this moment. And this infuriated the leaders because they were looking for a way to arrest Jesus and kill Jesus but they couldn't because Jesus doesn't just come out and say it even though they know that he's saying it. Okay, this is this is just a parable. It's a story for teaching, but they know what Jesus is communicating even though he's not necessarily saying it outright. And because Jesus is so popular and the crowds believe him to be a prophet, a man of God, <clears throat> they are in support of him and they know that if they do something to Jesus, these people are going to rise up against them. And so while Jesus is giving this, this parable, the parable is actually playing out in that moment. They are looking for a way to arrest and kill Jesus. They are plotting in that moment to kill the Son of God, just like the evil farmers were plotting and planning to kill the son of the owner of the vineyard. And one thing I want to call your attention to as we're closing out today is the fact that Jesus said the kingdom of God would be taken away from these religious leaders and given to a nation that would produce a proper fruit. And I want to remind you that you know we're talking about Jesus was given this parable of past, present, and future tense, that it was near future because the religious leaders were trying to put Jesus to death. But even after they put Jesus to death, in 70 AD, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, and the temple system that gave the religious leaders their wealth and power was taken with it, never to really be regained again. The parable was a message for the past, present, and near future, and somewhat distant future in its meaning. And Jesus knew what he wanted to communicate in these final days, and while the parable 
may be difficult for us to understand at face value just because we, we're not familiar with that culture. We weren't there at the time. We didn't really understand everything that was going on. When you read God's Word, when you begin to understand Old Testament scriptures, when you begin to understand the culture and just the background information of why Jesus is saying this, you can kind of decipher a lot more of scripture and a lot more of the meanings of things like parables and stuff that just kind of confuses us. It may seem hazy at first glance. So um, he was speaking very clearly to the people in this story. He was speaking very clearly to the religious leaders, and they got it. They understood it, and they were very offended by it. And so even though it may not have been clear to us, it was very clear to them. And so Jesus always has a purpose. He always has a plan. He always has a meaning in what he says. And so I just want to challenge you guys today, as we close out, and I pray with you, that um, you would just know that whenever you're reading Scripture, it may not always appear um, clear. It may not always appear right there in front of you. But if we seek, if we look, if, if we ask the Lord to reveal, He will. The Lord will reveal it to us in a mighty way. Sometimes we just have to go seeking. So that's my challenge. Let me pray for you and I'll let you go. Jesus, thank you so much for this beautiful day, for the opportunity to be called your children. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to serve you, to honor you, and glorify you in our life. Lord, help us to lift the name of Jesus high. Lord, to read your word, to, to study it, to serve you, to live in prayer. And God, to be confident in our relationship with you so, so we can share the message of the gospel with other people. Jesus, we love you today. We thank you for your life and your sacrifice and for claiming us as your children. We ask all this in your name. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in for another week. We appreciate you so much. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Thank you guys for always being at church and supporting us and watching us on Facebook and YouTube on the weekend. So if you can't be with us in person this coming week, uh, we challenge you to catch us on Facebook, YouTube, and the podcast. We love you. We're praying for you and hope you guys have a blessed week.